everyone. Welcome to another episode of our podcast with me, Watipano. And myself, Brandon. We hope everyone is safe and well during these crazy times. In today's podcast or podcast, we've um, got another exciting episode with another amazing guest. Our guest is the founder of a non-profit organization called Coding Black Females, which aims to support and, you know, assist black female developers through networking events, workshops, and, and more. They've had sponsors and partners such as the BBC, Monzo, and Condé Nast, and, and more, of course. And yeah, so welcome to the podcast, Charlene Hunter. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. It's great to be part of it today. I'm really excited. Fantastic. You know, we've been watching your company for a while, for a bit, I should say. And, you know, we've been inspired by what you guys are doing with, you know, um, providing assistance and support, you know, for um, Black female developers. So, yeah, it's, um, it's really great to have you on the podcast. We're excited. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to be part of it. Um, so, yeah, could you tell us more about yourself and, you know, what Code and Black Females is? Maybe I didn't do it justice, you know. <laughs> so, um, I'm a software developer. I'm Charlene, as you've just said. I'm a software developer. I've been a developer for about 12 years now, um, which has been really enjoyable. I really enjoy being a developer. It's actually loads of fun, as I'm sure you both know. I think you're both developers, right? Yeah, yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> loads of fun. So yeah. um, I did that after completing a maths degree and then a computer science master's. And then I got a grad role as a software developer. So as I was doing that, it was great, enjoying it. But what I noticed the entire way through was that there weren't many black women in tech. So, and all black people in tech in general is what I discovered. And I think along the way, I kind of wanted to find spaces that made sense for me. So I did a lot of black history studies. I went to loads of tech events and tech workshops to see, like to get interested in tech, I guess, but also to see who else was there, like trying to make new connections. And yeah, so in 2017, I set up Coding Black Females initially just to meet other black women in tech, just to see what mm. they were about, what they were doing, whether their experiences were similar to mine. Mm. And it's really, really developed into a community of um, amazing women, all at different levels of their career, all supporting each other. And we put on loads of events. We we have loads of stuff happening to essentially support the community of black women in tech. We we want to see more women in the industry. We want to make sure that there are opportunities available. And I really want to break down barriers as well. So we're doing as much as we can to achieve that. As I'm sure you've seen, we've been a bit mad on social media um, during yeah. lockdown. Lockdown kind of meant that I don't have anything else to do but coding back females now. So. <laughs> Yeah, no, let me create this let me do that let me do this yeah no that's uh fantastic to be honest and yeah we were actually going to ask you questions in regards to you know the lockdown how has mm. your organization been with you know everything going on with the coronavirus and yeah would you say it's affected it much so what happened initially in March, um, March was International Women's Month or Women's History Month anyway so we had mm. an event set up every single week in March and then um, one by one, the events were cancelled. And it was like, um, you know, when you've been arranging stuff for the last two months and that's everything you've been focused on is, I'm going to be tired in March, but it's going to be worth it because we're going to have loads of amazing events. And yeah. one by one, they were cancelled. And at first, I was like, what do we do? Like, everything that's happening around us all has been cancelled. Like, not just my events, other events as well, you know? I think April started... And we were like, okay, well, let's create a space online. We can have conversations online. We can do the stuff that we were doing in person, just in a virtual environment. So I guess we started having a lot of webinars at that point um, just to talk to each other. And it's actually been really good because we've been able to reach people all over the world, whereas before it was just really people in London. Um, we would primarily have our events in um, office spaces, I guess, in London. And now we've got people joining across Africa, the Caribbean, and it's actually been quite powerful. The lockdown's opened up a lot to us and it's meant that we're all more connected. And from that, we've also been able to start a podcast as well. So people are sharing more of their stories, um, sharing more of what's happening in their lives and inspiring more people. So it's actually kind of amazing. Um, Obviously, there's been the downside. There's been a lot of, I mean, lockdown's been hard on a lot of people, right? Like, it's been really yeah. difficult 
but through that i think what we've tried to do is provide training opportunities so that people yeah. can have something to stay focused on um, we've been trying to get quite active on our job boards so that if people have been furloughed there's somewhere to look for roles obviously there's loads of job boards but we're trying to make sure that there's just another place to look um, so yeah, we're just trying to do as much as we can in the virtual space since lockdown. I think it's opened a lot of opportunities up that we didn't previously know about. Would you say with the opportunities, um, it's opened up? Do you are you planning to have any changes to how you run the organisation um, post corona? So I think so. So a lot of people have said, can we continue to have virtual events? And I think the answer has to be yes because we've managed to even just across the UK, we've had people connecting across the UK to our webinars, etc. And I think it's only right to continue that. I do think it'll be good to like have the like face-to-face -face events and face-to-face -face networking and workshops, but I think we'll definitely continue everything that we're doing online. It's just worth it. See, this okay. is a uh, fantastic, again, it highlights the power of, you know, technology. Mm. You know, I believe if this uh, pandemic happened 20 years ago, I mean, don't get me wrong, there has been past pandemics, but with the advancement of technology, we wouldn't have the ability to conduct virtual, you know, sessions and do things virtually through Zoom meetings, you know, all these different types of opportunities, Instagram lives. And yeah, that's been enabled through technology. I do believe, you know, many things are going to change from here in terms of how we work, as well as, you know, the organization and people working, you know, from home and stuff. So yeah, that's, that's great to hear. Yeah, definitely. I didn't, I don't think I really thought about it before and then this kind of forces it right like it makes you have to think about it and I didn't think of how powerful technology was until we had to use it it was our only method of communication and it's just kind of united us in a way that I hadn't expected um it's yeah, it's been amazing actually that's awesome um speaking about your your background you you did mention you studied computer science um out of curiosity which uni and why what exactly inspired you to study computer science so um i went to the university of birmingham i actually originally no way oh did you go there as well we we went to aston <laughs> oh i love that yeah um birmingham was awesome and i think it was a great city to go to university definitely one of the best yeah so i studied math and it was i really enjoyed math i absolutely loved it it was um i would definitely recommend math to anybody that enjoys math i think it's a great subject <laughs> Obviously, there's a lot of people that don't like it, so I wouldn't recommend to them. But um, yeah, so I did maths, and towards the end of that, I was thinking, like, what do I do next? Like, what's my next step? And I'll be honest, when I was studying, I was just terrible. I didn't really do much work for the first two years. So by the end of my second year, I was coming out with a third, which meant that I couldn't apply for any jobs until I finished my third year, because obviously a lot of the companies take it based on how you're looking at the end of your second year. So I was like, okay, I'm going to have to just knuckle down and work really hard for third year, but line something up that's going to make me more desirable to employers. Mm -hmm. So I was actually going to try and go down the accounting route because I thought that, you know, maths, accounting kind of makes sense. A few of my friends were going into accounting and it seemed sensible. And then I went, I had a look at, I think over the summer I was doing some coding projects and I was like, hang on, why am I looking at accounting when I actually really enjoy coding and I've been doing it since I was a child. Like I started coding when I was about 10 and I never cool. thought of it as a career. I just thought of it as a, a thing that was fun. Um, and then because I kind of got reintroduced to it when I was at university, like during the summer, I then looked at the computer science conversion course and which is an MSc. And I was like, you know what, that just makes sense. I'll do the computer science conversion. I'll make myself get a 2-1 in my degree. So I worked really hard. I was in the library like all the time um, trying to get that. So that then I could apply for jobs saying I've got a 2-1 and I'm working towards a distinction in my master's. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of opened up the door to a lot of opportunities because rather than saying I've got a third, but I'm going to try really hard, it was mm -hmm. I've got a 2-1 and I'm going to work towards a distinction in what you're after. So it then just meant that I had a lot of a lot of opportunities open to me by that point. I just want to confirm, did you say, you know, you were studying maths and then you went on to do an MSc in uh, computer science, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So BSc in math and then an MSc in computer science after that. Oh, fantastic. Secondly, I want to dive in further into what you've just said about coding at the age of 10. Like, what? <laughs> Tell us more about that. How, how, how did that happen? Um, I don't know whether you would have 
seen these, but like at my school, they had these um, BBC Microsystems computers and they were like these huge boxes in a room. And I think I just used to go on them and have a go and see what would happen. And it was, it was in basic. So you would just type in like print, whatever, input something else and, and then output what you just input. It was really easy stuff. So I didn't know I was coding. I just knew that I was telling the computer to do something. And then yeah. I was, was like reacting to what I told it to do. And that was fun. It was to me like the same as doing puzzles or the same as playing games. And then when I was at home as well, my parents bought me those like kids computer stuff. You know, those games where you can like, I don't know, they had a keyboard on them and you play typing games. But I don't think they knew they also had a coding element. There was this huge book that came with it to learn basic. So I would just be up in my room, like doing basic programming which again was really fun, but I didn't know I was coding. I just thought, it just felt like maths games, really. Yeah, I did that for a while. Like I just really enjoyed it. And it's only when I got older that I realized I was coding when I was younger. And I was like, why did no one notice? I could have been a genius. And, <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's, that's amazing. Now that you've mentioned that, what, what did you say to people when they asked you as a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? What was your answer to that? I you think say? my mum found somewhere that I wanted to be a chef. I think I wanted to be a chef. I wanted mm. to be a fire. I used to want to be a fireman. My mum, my mum was like, don't be a that's a man's job. And I was yeah. like, but I want to put fires up. So I don't know. I don't really think I had much of a direction. I didn't want to go into tech or IT because I thought it was a, a dying industry because I was a child. But um, I didn't really want to do that. I think really I thought I'd go into accounting or something like that. I used to look at the professions and I think it was like accounting, law, medicine that sort of stuff is what I was interested in because I knew it had like a clear track in progression but um I never really thought of tech until I got to university and I kind of figured out the direction I wanted to go in that's that's amazing that you, that you started that that early um in in programming is is that what made you as you said you did a, a bit of programming in um, in between the maths, is that what then made you venture into tech oh I guess actually so my dad also runs a software company um, so I used to go there a lot and like build computers and, um, just like do some soldering on some circuits and stuff like that. It was like an, ele an electronics company, which then developed into a software company. So then in that summer, I was like, can I just come in and do some work? I used to work with my parents every summer anyway. And, um, he was like, yeah, come in. We've got this project that's coming from one of our clients. Can you just build it? And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll build it. If I don't know, I'll just learn it. So it's fine. And I think that was it. It was how excited I found that process of gathering the requirements, coming up with a design, building something, giving it back to the client and then getting paid. I really enjoyed that as a process. And then I was like, oh yeah, I could be a developer. I hadn't really thought about it until now. I'm starting to see, see a set of uh, themes and connections there because with our last guest, Tara, she's also a, you know, she's a software engineer. And she actually mentioned that as a kid, her dad was also, you know, soldering you know computer bits you know ripping them apart and stuff and you've also mentioned the same thing so i can see themes that are coming up here which is going to you know lead me to questions that um you know we're going to ask in the future but before you know we, we ask those questions i wanted to ask you you mentioned that you know your your interest in tech was revived again when you entered university between those years of you being a 10 year old and you know your time at when you started university why did it stop why did your interest in tech decline I think it's actually because, so both my parents were running businesses as I was growing up. And as I said, my dad's company was a tech company and my mum was running an IT training company. And I just don't think I liked the idea of running a business. I thought it's just like more stress than it was worth. I just wanted to work for someone and get paid every month and not have to worry about anything. <laughs> it was just stressful. Like running a business is hard. I didn't want that. And then also they were doing tech, they were like selling, dad was selling computers and then moving into building software for people. And it just didn't seem like something I was interested in. It, I think that made me less interested in it, seeing it all the time, hearing about it all the time. I'd always come home and my dad would be working on his website and my mom would be working on her business on the computer. And I just wanted an easy life. But it turns out that I didn't want an easy life, but I wanted one that apparently, like, I think they just built it into me without me realising it, and then I took it. Because a lot of my family are in tech. My, my brother's a software developer, my other brother's a IT recruiter, and now works at my dad with, with my dad 
and the software company selling the product. So I think we're all kind of in that space um, without necessarily wanting it. It's just built in. Wow. Incredibles, basically. <laughs> I can definitely like relate to what you said about, you know, run, running a business is hard. And when you see it every day, you, you tend to... And and really, I don't blame people who want to just go for the steady paycheck. Mm. You know, like just have a job, have your paycheck monthly, and just try to progress from there instead of the, I won't say burden, but the challenge of running a day-to-day business and then having people depend on you. And and as we've seen with the coronavirus situation, where you never know what can happen, and then you have to tackle all of all of that issue as well. So mm. yeah, I can I can I can understand that that mindset of. Because I, I won't lie, I do enjoy steady paycheck. So yeah, it's nice having steady paycheck. But then it's also with all the stuff I'm doing with coding black females. It's the business side of it is what excites me. The community side really excites me, and the get the bit where I get to build, write code excites me. If you know what I mean. So as much as yeah, I yeah. thought all the time it was off putting, I think that's what I need. I think I need that excitement. And when I've worked in places on that steady paycheck, I think I've actually found it quite hard. Not being involved in building the business and growing the business. So I think I actually quite like it as much as it was off-putting. I like it. So yeah, it's interesting. As you were speaking, I, I don't know if you watched the uh, Hamilton. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've seen um, it, it sounds like you want to be in the room where it happens. You don't want to be the, on the outside waiting. I want to be in the room where it happens, the room where it happens. I want to be in the room where it happens the room where it happens yeah definitely i want to be in all the rooms where all the decisions are being made so yeah yeah i agree (laughs) yeah no i I totally agree with you as well to be honest in terms of you know the bit you spoke specifically about doing something exciting and you know and challenging i think that's the bit that keeps me awake that gets me up every morning to be honest you know I took sort of an unorthodox route. So, you know, and yeah. that's literally one of the reasons we started Quadroom, to be honest, is the idea is that we're constantly experimenting. I, I don't really, we don't really call ourselves a business. Well, I'll speak for myself. You know, we tend to call ourselves experimenters, basically. We're constantly trying new things, working on different projects and seeing ways in which we can use technology to help people. And that is what excites me. So, yeah, I could definitely resonate with um, what you're saying. But, yeah. Moving forward just a bit now, you, you know, you've told us about your background, your upbringing, being around, you know, a family of developers and people into tech. Now, what would you say was your impetus or, or motivation to, to start Code and Black Females then? Where did this come from? Um, so I think it's kind of two, well, multiple factors. So as I said earlier, I did um, a lot of, I studied Black history for quite a while, for about three years, Black history and Black studies, and it was sort of, looking at our history and where we came from, but also looking at where we're going to go and how we've developed in the way we have when we've had power and stuff like that. And community was quite a big element of that. Um, community seemed to be quite a vital bit. So that's one thing I think that was quite an important part of it. When I was young, my parents ran um, community organisations to try and develop um, the black community so they had a mentor program and talent based talent based organizations and they'd get people in to do talks to empower people and I think that seeing that as much as I didn't want to do it part of me wanted to always be in a position to do something for the black community and I think a major part then was the fact that when I was working I hadn't met any other black women and to me that didn't really make sense because I was like, there must be other people who had a passion for maths, had a passion for coding, and now we're developers. Like, it can't just be me. I know it's not just me. So I wanted to just meet other people. Um, and I was thinking about it for a while. And then I watched, I went to the to a screening of Hidden Figures. I watched that and I saw three Black women on screen that made me think of myself and made me realise that I was doing something that I wasn't breaking into that was actually designed, like that I was supposed to be doing almost then I was like you know what I'm just gonna create it so I went home that night after the screening um and created the group and then just set set an event up and said okay I'm gonna put this date in the diary and I just have to turn up and if no one comes it's fine but I'm gonna put this date in the diary to see who turns up and then talk to them about being in tech and that was it 
Fantastic. Oh. Like, again, it's interesting you talk about hidden figures because I've watched that movie twice with, you know, my younger siblings and it's been such an inspiration to like, you know, them as well being females and all young girls, I should say. And yeah, it's been, it's been an inspiration. That movie did light a spark in me as well. So yeah, I can definitely understand where you're coming from. And also the bit where you were talking about, you know, how there isn't enough, you know, black people in tech, as we know, as well as, you know, seeing yourself, we can definitely relate. You know, we've had conversations about this in, you know, various episodes of our of our podcast. And we're always trying to decipher why that is, you know, number one. You know, number two, another thing I wanted to say is, yeah, subconsciously, that was one of the reasons we actually started Quadrum doing universities. Yes, there were various reasons, but another reason was that, you know, we wanted to present a, a, a cool and different outlook to you know, what being in tech is, you know, where we're coming from. The rock stars are basically the footballers, you know, the rappers. And, you know, we actually wanted to, you know, use that same, you know, coolness to sort of build a brand that sort of um, gets young black kids and people from, you know, minority backgrounds to be inspired to get into technology. So, yeah, we can, um, I could definitely resonate with everything you're saying, to be honest. Yeah, I think it definitely makes sense. I mean, when I was doing my Black History course, what I found on there especially was they would always have, um, I said, not that it's a bad thing, but they'd have a lot of craft-based events on for people in business. Mm. So if, you're, if you make this artwork, come along and show people what you do and show people all these things you do. And I was like, what about people in tech? <laughs> like tech's mm. a really big thing and it's something that we could be sharing with each other. I was like, this is missing. And I actually contacted them and said, look, can we do a tech-based event? And obviously that's not exactly what they were trying to do. So I understand it. But um, yeah. yeah, I think... It's good that so many of us are trying to fill that gap now and we're yeah. doing it well and we're making a change. So it's really good. Absolutely. You know, um, another thing I did want to say as well is, you know, you mentioned community. Community has been something that's been in our mind, my mind and the team's mind for a very long time. It's been a it's been a topic of huge interest, you know, because um, I'm into, you know, startups and, you know, looking at, you know, what's happening in, in Silicon Valley a lot. And one of the key reasons that Silicon Valley is so huge is because of the community. The fact that you walk two blocks down, you see guys coding in the cafe, you know, look across the street, there's a startup starting every day. And that's been a, a topic of huge interest. So, yeah, it's very interesting to hear you to say that. But I wanted to ask you, what other things have you discovered from your research into Black history, apart from community, would you say, you know, springs into mind? Um... That's a difficult question, but I think <laughs> if I sort of talk about what I got out of it, and mm. I think really what I took from all the learning I had was identity. It gave me my identity that I think I struggled with for quite a while. Um, so I grew up in Nottingham, which my mm. primary school was, I was the only black person there. And I spent a lot of time having to defend myself, my existence almost to a lot of people between the age of five and 10, which is quite difficult. Mm. And then um, I think what it helped me to do was understand different levels of racism, like understand what racism is and have the right responses to people if they say things. So it just helped me to understand where I came from, be even prouder of who I am and where I came from. The key thing I think I learned was how valuable we are as black people and the amount of stuff that we've achieved. And it's amazing and we should be proud of it. We should be proud of ourselves. And it just spurred me on to do so much more. I think having that identity, that sense of who I am and, and where I've come from and how fantastic we are. I, I, don't, I just love who I am. So, yeah, I think it just made me love myself a little bit more, which was good. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. You know, just to add on as well, again, one thing that annoys me about history and when I'm looking into the history of, you know, specifically Black British people that have made, you know, a, a huge significance in tech or huge advancements, there isn't actually a lot, you know, there isn't much research in it. And that was one thing that annoys me a lot. You know, every time I do research, it always brings up people, you know, with due respect in America. But, you know, I would also want to know, you know, the Black British people or Africans, people in Africa who made huge contributions in tech as well. Would you say you have this frustration as well? Um, I don't see you much or it's quite hard to find a lot I think from the UK mm. any sort of research I've tried to do I've found mm. it really hard when it's based in the UK there's just not a lot that you can find it doesn't mean it's not there yeah. it just means it's hard to find and we need to make it easier to find um the sorts of stuff that I was learning on the course um so for example there was this, there's a book um black people blacks in science I think by someone whose name I can't remember right now and that sort of thing that was actually a really powerful book because it shows you black people in science not necessarily recently and not in America 
Um, so we'll talk about, it covers like the African contribution to science and the development of science. And so that's really useful having things like that around. And there's um, looking at the mathematics and, and stuff like that that's come out of Africa, I think is more than just somebody created a traffic light in America, which is fantastic. But I think we need more. We need more that we can relate to than just American history. Yeah. Thanks for giving me another book recommendation, by the way, as well. And I need to check that book out. Just to, you know, confirm something. Is the author Ivan Van Sertima? Oh, yeah, Ivan Van Sertima. That's it. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm going to check that book out. Yeah, so, oh, I can, yeah, I'll give you a, a list of other books as well. Sick. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. Um, Quickly, so when you were speaking about, you know, the impetus of starting Coding Black Females, you mentioned about the first event. What was that first event like and what's the work? You know, what are some of the work you've been doing since then? So the first event was uh, four of us in a bar talking about being in tech. So it wasn't anything major. It was it. four of us being up to have a chat. Um, because I didn't know, it's not like I knew about community, knew about running anything, knew about events. I just wanted to meet people. So I set it up on Meetup and um, I just wanted to see who would turn up. So that was how it began. Now... Or let's say there's there's the bit before we went into lockdown, right? So now we hold loads of different events. So we do um, we try to partner with quite a few organisations for our events. We've had um, coding workshops, um, pairing pair coding workshops as well. We've had events where people talk about their journeys into tech. We had a fantastic event last year, which I think everyone really really enjoyed, which was um, celebrating black women in tech history, where we looked at the fantastic achievements of black women in tech history. And it was more than just um, the women from Hidden Figures. It was actually really exciting to just see everyone get excited, seeing people that look like them in throughout history who have contributed to tech who are black women. That was absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, so we, we, I mean, a lot of what we do is networking and workshops. And then sometimes we'll have smaller groups where it's just a, a case of getting together and being able to have a chat. Or being able to, you know, go and have a bit of a social, but it's it's a lot about bringing people together. And if we can learn new skills or put a spotlight on role models and people that are doing amazing things in tech currently. That's awesome. What, what, what would you say has been the, the most exciting or the the an event that you were proud of? Maybe due to like the effects of it later on, or so I think that the event that I just spoke about, yeah, that's one that most people when you ask them which event was their favorite it was that event because they got to learn so much we had um we had a panel discussion as well where we discussed being black women in tech and then there was a networking event afterwards and i think because it, it was held at conde nast so i think it just made people feel really good to be in that sort of environment and we were celebrating black history together as black women and in tech, it was absolutely fantastic. And we had patties as well, which to me just topped it because they were some really good patties. That's really good, man. Um, I hope you didn't forget the supermort as well. There was no supermort, just Prosecco. That was it. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, be sure to invite us to the next one post-COVID. I, I, I won't uh, Yeah, definitely, definitely. I will make sure that you're on the first. You're the first on the list. Oh, fantastic, man. I wanted to ask you, why do you think there aren't enough Black females getting into tech or STEM, you know, this is a conversation, you know, we, me and the guys have a lot with, you know, black boys getting into tech and stuff, but I, I know the percentage for females, black females is, is, is much lower. Why do you think, why do you think this is? Um, I think there's a few reasons. I think one of them is to do with role models. So not having enough role models. Well, according to the stuff that I've read, that the research has been done, role models that look like you does actually make quite a big difference to whether you're likely to go for something so that's mm. an element I think another thing is um it's probably changing now but people may not have seen tech or software development as a professional career mm. um so people were going for accounting law that sort of thing instead um there's another thing where there's just bias and racism in the industry as well mm. so in a lot of the organisations, there's a lot of white men and whether they're actively doing it or not, you might just have a, a better rapport with another white man compared to a black woman, if you know what I mean, when you're doing employment and it might just make a difference. So I think that there's, there's things that people need to look at about their recruitment processes to make a difference so that you can take the bias out and the racism out and get the right people in the building. I think there's some 
roles that people may just not have the confidence to apply for. I think some parts of tech can be toxic. And even if you just look at Stack Overflow, which is a really, it's an example of a place where people that I know of will not post questions on Stack Overflow because of the way people are going to respond. And it's like, I, I don't even, if that's how people are going to speak to me when I'm learning, why would I want to be in this industry? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Everyone's like, well, why don't you just read the question or why don't you look it up on Google? <laughs> I think that parts of it can seem um, inaccessible. There's racism and there is other industries that might feel more appropriate as might be totally agree with everything you said to be honest you know down to the stack overflow one as well but i'll get into that later um especially mm -hmm. about having role models around like i alluded to earlier you know you and a few guests we've had in the past because they had like role models such as maybe their siblings maybe their parents you know involved in technology that was the exposure you know they got into getting interest in tech and one of you know key things we spoke about as well in our, in our podcast is the exposure the exposure is very important in terms of you know the people you have around having more guests invited into secondary schools to have you know huge populations of black students you know um, and just changing the way you know tech is represented like you said you know growing up Tech to me always seemed very nerdy, it didn't seem cool, you know, it was it was basically these guys with hoodies and you know, to me I was just like, man, it doesn't really look cool. Oh, you can't tell me that I'm cool. I've always wanted to be cool. definitely agree you know where you're where you're coming from and also yeah of course like you said there is systemic racism in, in technology as well and you know the hierarchy and how things exist you know for example in all the roles I've had in a tech company I've maybe been the actually either the only black guy or maybe two or three of us you know and I do remember a particular experience when in the company I was working for at that time, we had this uh, PhD student, international student from Nigeria and <laughs> he saw me and you know during the interview process and he started speaking to me in yoruba and asking mm. me for tips because you know that was what he was comfortable with and i remember thinking raw like if you know <laughs> if he couldn't communicate with with anyone like that then how would he have been able to get the job you know so the representation is very you know important and another thing i like to say as well is I, I'm getting tired. I won't say I'm getting tired. I, I'm loving this diversity role, you know, roles they're giving people and black people and tech. That's, that's great, right? But I like for it to go beyond that. Don't just give us a diversity role, diversity, you know, VP of diversity or director of diversity. I think there needs to be black people in powerful positions as well as, you know, the board of directors, number one, uh, you know, CTO positions, number two, and, you know, basically executive, you know, roles. I think that's very important as well. Mm. Yeah, I think having people, you need it all through the stack, right? Mm. You can't just stop. And the thing is that I do think that there are people in some of those roles, but we need to see them as well. Mm. Um, I think that obviously it's not like they're everywhere. Yeah. There's, there's a few roles where we have black people in these positions that are making huge decisions and, and making a huge difference. And I think that what we need to make sure of is that when they are there, if they're okay with it, mm. um, like be visible, be your role model people see you so that other people can then feel as though they should be there too and that they can make it as well absolutely i think that was one of the reasons we started our podcast to be honest not just to highlight technological advances that was happening in, in africa but also to you know speak to the unheard voices you know we want to speak to people that look like us in tech and other people as well who have stories that are unheard you know and um, i think that's very important yeah i definitely agree with that yeah i think that was one of the huge things for me because I knew that I was really lucky in that my parents gave me quite a lot of exposure and they put me around loads of people that could be role models. Mm. But if you don't have that naturally, then we need to create these environments and it's great that we're able to give, it's like there's loads of platforms now that people can go to mm. to find black role models in tech mm. and in other industries. Good. yeah absolutely i agree with you i don't get me wrong i do feel i'm not saying like i feel like we've solved it or we're, we've made huge advancement i think there's definitely more i and you know quadrivum can do to ensure that you know the exposure is there and to bring more you know uh, uh black you know technologists into the limelight but again i think it's uh, a process you know the stuff doesn't mm -hmm. happen overnight 
No, it doesn't. Mm. But we just need to do as much of it as we can. And we need to just keep on working at it. Never going to be an overnight thing. We just got to stick at it and know that we're getting good responses. 100%. Yeah, I totally agree with you, man. And even, you know, just to give my story of the Stack Overflow as well, like you mentioned, I remember there's been various times I've had um, issues with my code, but I've been very reluctant to to you know put code on on stack overflow because of the crazy responses you get on 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 that platform it's i don't even know how to describe it but it just puts you off it's funny to hear that you you have experiences with that as well yeah i, I don't understand why people are so harsh like yeah, it's just yeah. a, but um what we found though so we've got a whatsapp group in coding black females and Sick. i mean it's really big now there's like 200 people in it wow. but ask questions in there so they'll ask like a tech question and then what normally happens is somebody else is like i'll just jump on a video call with you and i'll work through the problem with you so it's like we've always got our own stack overflow platform in the midst of this whatsapp group so it's quite nice to have another space to ask those sort of questions have you guys considered you know trying slack you know using that as a as a more robust yeah we use slack as well um i find that because whatsapp's on your phone and everyone uses WhatsApp anyway. That's just more chatty. So they do the same thing in Slack. Yeah. But it's just busier in WhatsApp, I guess. Yeah. There's just a lot more in there. Fair enough. You know, you were, you were speaking about, um, obviously, having the role models and you mentioned platforms being out there. Um, how do you think we can get more, you know, black girls and boys into, into tech? Um, I think we need to go into schools as well. So... There's there's one thing of existing and talking to people on socials or online or on a video call in the evening, but we need to go into schools and talk to the children. And that's not just not just the black children. We need to talk to all the children in schools so that they can see black people in senior positions, in whatever level positions in tech. Um, it'll inspire the black children. It will reduce the um, the bias in the white children. They'll, everyone will just see black role models, and that's what we need to do. I think that um, I think a lot of when a lot of people are able to look back and remember that one black person that came into school that inspired them, and I have that. There was an IT teacher in my school, and I always remember the black IT teacher, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, there's a black man in school. I can't believe that. I've never seen one of those before. And <laughs> sounds really weird. <laughs> I remember that, and I remember talking to other people who had that one black person come in who did a talk in an assembly, and that made a huge difference to their yeah. actual identity. Yeah. So I think to go into schools and we need to talk to children and talk about what we do. We need to create little programs, like teach them how to code, maybe like have a one-off session or continuous sessions. But we need to be there. We need to be visible and they need to see what we're doing. And there are groups doing it. We just need to do it more. That's all I think will make a huge difference to what kids think they can do. That's one of the next stages, you know, for Quadrum, to be honest. We've had opportunities to, to go into school recently as well. And that's uh, something we've been wanting to push. Um, and I can also relate with that one person that came into, into your life that impacted you getting into tech or, you know, coming to assembly and stuff. Yeah, I could definitely relate with that as well. Um, that's why I laugh. But also, um, I think for me, it was very different, to be honest. As a young kid, I've always been very curious, you know, into as to what exists beyond my vicinity or area. Or, or ends mm-hmm. or whatever right and that's what prompted me to go online to see what people you know outside of my area is doing or to see what exists beyond I do and I think yeah for me it, it was it was very different on that side as well I was just very curious in in nature mm-hmm. to see what exists beyond me and and uh, the people around me I think yeah that's another side of things as well I think young people also need to have that curiosity and interest to see what exists beyond their area and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I do think though that obviously not everyone's like that. Mm. And if you're not if you're not that curious child, mm. those opportunities should still be should still present themselves. Right. So you should still find out about them. Mm. So it's like we need to encourage children to be curious as well. Yeah. So Whenever I've done talks to children, I'm always like, be curious. And I always talk about, and it's terrible because I did one and I was like, I stole a a screwdriver from my dad's toolbox. And then I was like, oh no, don't tell children to steal. Don't tell them to steal. (laughs) (laughs) But like, you know, because I just wanted to be curious Mm. and find out about different things. And I think that's what we need to tell them to do as well. It's not just be there, but as you say, you know, be curious and, and discover other things as well. Yeah, exactly. And that's the angle I'm coming out as well. Like, I feel like, 
you know, school in a way sort of dims creativity and dims like curiosity for some reason. You know, I, I believe that school is meant to be this place where like you're, it opens your mind, it puts you, it shows you, exposes you into different things, you know, that you haven't, you know, seen before. But I feel like it doesn't do that. It sort of dims it in a way. It sort of, you know, reduces it to, to, the, to the maths and Englishes and sciences, which is very important. But I feel like, you know, curiosity in other senses whereby rather than taking kids to, you know, Tate Museum like you do every year, why not take them to Canary Wharf and see how, you know, the bankers are using technology or, you know, how artists are using AI to, to paint and stuff like that. So, yeah, curiosity is something that definitely needs to be, you know, taught, at, you know, uh, what you call it? What's the word? You know, um, okay. yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's interesting listening to to both of you, like when you say about the the one black teacher, or because growing up in Belgium, there was zero of that in wow. in school, right? And then coming wow. here, one was more than enough. So, like, just seeing more black people than I saw in Belgium, even if it wasn't in like schools or, but just seeing them was like, oh, oh my days, there's more of us, like. You know, it, it was just, and it's later on as I lived there longer, I realized, oh, there isn't enough. But because I came from Belgium where there was hardly any, yeah. you know, it, it it made one look like it was a thousand for me. Like, oh my God, there is, there's this man that fixes computers and there's this man that does this. And it's like, oh my God. So yeah, it's interesting hearing both of you talk about that and just thinking about my experience. It's, it's true actually though, isn't it? Because even though, as we're saying it, it's not as though... When I saw the one black teacher at school, I don't remember thinking, why aren't there more? I remember just being really, really happy that we had one. I was like, I was really good friends with the cleaner as well because he was Jamaican and it was just really nice to eat to a Jamaican at school. Yeah. And it's just like, there should be people who aren't just the cleaner or the one, the one um, guy. Yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah, as well, you know, nearing the end, I wanted to ask you, what advice would you give to a 15-year-old girl who's currently in school and, you know, has interest in STEM or tech? What advice would you give her? Just have a go and know that there are no limits, I suppose. So, um, you know, do some research, find people that can support you in what you want to do. And as we've just said as well, be curious, try things, have a go. Just try and write some code and see if you enjoy it. And if you enjoy it, then just keep on coding, keep on learning and find people that can support you through that. Yeah, totally agree, man. And in that vein of thought, what, what advice would you give a young um, female graduate who has just finished uni or is about to put your career in tech? Um, try and find a role that is going to support your future. So when I came out of uni, I was thinking about where I wanted to be in five years' time. and I five years and 10 years time. I wasn't necessarily just thinking about now. And that really helped me to choose a career or an industry that would give me all the skills I needed for that five year point. So if you can find a role that gives you the opportunity to try different things, so try and do that, try and find the right organization that's gonna um, support your career as well. Um, and just apply and be confident that you're fantastic at what you're doing. I love that, man. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I agree. If you were doing, if you were invited right, to do a TED talk, what would the title talk about? And the reason why I ask you, or we ask you this, is to get an idea of, you know, what you're currently interested in, basically, and what issues, you know, you, you want to bring to light. What would I talk about if I were invited to a TED? That's a really hard question, isn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably base it on a talk that I did recently, which was, I called it Finding Your Passion in Community. And it was about how we can build a community and and that was the tech community by looking at community and looking at ourselves and how we can encourage other people um i guess i'm trying not to look at external factors that can help us to develop but what we can do ourselves and if we're looking at it ourselves i think community is a great way to build our future and our path and and build role models so it'd probably be around that again fantastic brandon what would your title be <laughs> oh, if I was doing a TED talk, um, <laughs> it's it's interesting when we're asking other people. I, I didn't actually think about this. <laughs> I don't. Know, I, I I think I'll I'll just talk about. There, there was a title I saw recently called um, "Failing Up," and that's just like my experience from like moving three countries. You know, failing part of uni and still managing to get yourself to like a position where you're 
quote, we're not successful, but you're, like, you're, you're still climbing up the ladder despite having all those hurdles where you fell and failed out. So, yeah, that's probably what, what I'll talk about. I like that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, me too. And yourself? I would say, um, based on what I'm interested in right now, I would say the title would be called Never Stop Experimenting. And mm -hmm. the idea behind that is that as, you know, um, human beings, I feel like we tend to, I don't know, I feel like we tend to see life in terms of like linearly, we don't tend to experiment and try different things. And what I mean by that is, for example, you know, speaking specifically about tech, you know, if you've worked as a software developer for two years, maybe experiment and try, you know, you know, UX design. And if you've tried UX design for another two or three years, experiment into another into another sector and technology, maybe AI or maybe, you know, another field basically. And that's basically what my talk would be about, would be the idea is never to see yourself as just, you know, in this one box and just being this one person in tech. I feel like experiment as much as possible and figure out what you're interested in. And I think that's how you develop yourself. You don't develop yourself by trying one thing for 10 years. That's great for specialization, but I feel like, mm -hmm. I, would, I want to encourage more people to experiment and try different things within and outside their sectors. Yeah, that sounds cool. That sounds cool. I like that. Cheers. I can't wait to listen to these. <laughs> so how can how can people support coding black females going forward? Um, so I guess what we're looking at is we want a pool of mentors. Um, we're looking for people that can mentor the women who are learning, whether they're at the beginning of their career or midway through. We are looking for more programs to put on. So so that's more training programs. So we're looking for financial support at the moment as well to be able to fund those programs for people um, and generally just letting people know that we exist. So when you see us do something, like share it so that people can find out about what we're doing and get involved. And if you want to sponsor us through that, sponsor us through it too. That would be fantastic. Yeah, that's that's, awesome. that sounds great. I think also, yeah, moving forward as well, I think, uh, you know, Quadrivum in any ways in which we can help and collaborate, that would be something we should you know, talk about after as well in the future. Definitely. Yeah, fantastic. But um, before we let you go, there's two questions I wanted to ask you firstly is, um, you know, earlier we were speaking about books, you know, being an mm -hmm. avid reader myself and, you know, us within the team as well. What would you, what books would you recommend to us? Um, so... It okay. doesn't have to be tech related. So it is something you're, you're reading or you enjoyed or you saw. You don't want to ask me the last time I've read a book, but one book that I have that I really want to read, which is on my bookshelf at the moment, is called African Mathematics. Mm. And that is written by Robin Walker and John Matthews. Um, it's quite a recent book, but it looks at different mathematical methods for doing simple tasks, or not just simple tasks, but like multiplication in different ways. Mm. Um, I quite like maths, it's my background. So I find that sort of thing really interesting. So I'd recommend that. Fantastic. <laughs> and what about your favorite podcast? What would you say that is? Would is there any you would recommend? So I would recommend there's the Code in Black Females podcast, which is fantastic. And there's also the Dope Black podcast. Okay. So there's Dope Black Women, Dope Black Dads and Dope Black Mums. And that's been one of the podcasts that kept me going through lockdown, to be fair. Like, I used to put it on for a walk and it was like I was in a room with some people that I know discussing the same topics. It was absolutely fantastic. So I would definitely recommend also the, the Dope Black podcast. And if you are interested in tech, Techish is really good too. So what was that? The tech one? Techish. Techish. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I'm going to check all of them out. Um, you know what? I, you never actually got to ask you something. What languages do you program in? Um, so the language that I knew first was Java. Course. And then oh. C sharp. And then um at the moment I do probably JavaScript. Uh I don't really know many of the JavaScript frameworks. I've never really been much of a front end developer mm. in that way. I just learn what I need to know for those. Um and then a bunch of database stuff as well. That's pretty sick. You know, we laugh because um during our time and studies as computer scientists, Brandon actually hates Java passionately. So uh Every time someone brings up Java, we always laugh because, yeah, Brandon literally dislikes Java. But I, Java's my favourite language ever. No, C-sharp. I, 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 I just love the fact that you said at the end, date some data. I was like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> well, the Java part, oof. Yeah. What I, are your languages? Um, 
so right now I outside of coding, my I work as a data warehouse developer. So I'm very like heavy on SQL. Started doing some Python. Um, so that's like my major thing. I do some a bit for front end, but it's mostly like UI design. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to get back into um, JavaScript, um, but part of me says I should go back to Java just to, because I have at the end of the day I'm meant to be a developer and a programmer, so it doesn't make sense not knowing like a proper, like not being efficient in like a proper backend language. But I, I've, I've always run away from from Java, so. Yeah. I think because it's what I've done for so long. I did it. I've done Java for like I don't know ten years ish. So it's the thing I'm most comfortable with. Ah. Yeah, that makes sense. For me, my languages include Java, JavaScript, and recently have been dabbling with uh, React, Angular, and um, Python. Ah, nice. Which yeah. version of Angular are you using? Version of Angular. Yeah. I'm not sure to be honest. Okay. I spent loads of time. Um, oh, it's just, I hate learning JavaScript frameworks because <laughs> as soon as I know how to do it, they change the version. It's all changed. Yes. And then, oh, oh my, my goodness. <laughs> we speak about this so much in the podcast the idea that, you know, you're learning JavaScript and then boom, a new version comes yeah. out next week. Another framework comes out next week. And you're like, you find it very difficult to, you know, stay up to date and, you know, understand what's happening. But one rule of thumb that I always give is, learn the foundations, learn the basics, and then you could do anything, basically. Yeah, totally. I completely agree with that. That's why I like Java. It doesn't change that much. Yeah, I can see okay. why, to be honest. I think Java is a very robust and, and strong language in which I would definitely, um, you know, encourage everyone to learn if you're into programming. Yeah, I would encourage people to learn it. I'm not, don't get me wrong, if I was starting a new project right now, I would not choose Java for it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I think it's the right thing for a new project. I'd probably yeah. choose React to learn it, yeah. but... Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's just yeah. the one, yeah, it's just a useful one to know, I think. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, when I was doing research for my, um, during my master's, I think one of the things that came up when I was looking into education and tech and all that stuff was, you know, apparently the easiest language you're meant to teach students, you know, when you're teaching students how to program, it should be Python, not Java. But for some reason, you know, universities, you know, choose um, Java. So yeah, if you're new to a programmer and you really want to learn, you know, principles and you know object oriented programming i should say then i would say look into python in java yeah definitely oh that's awesome um so do you have any social media um or how people can contact you yeah so um social media wise we are clothing black females on instagram and well everywhere except twitter we are coding black fems and that's f-e-m-s Again, it's been a pleasure to have you in the podcast. You know, we'd love to have you guys um, again if you guys have something you want to discuss or, you know, in any ways in which we can collaborate in the future. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for having me along today. It's, it's been great. Honestly, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Likewise. Fantastic. Sweet. All right. Take care. There's an error. For some reason, the computer's not logging off. Anyways, we hope you guys have enjoyed today's episode. And as you know, we're experimenters who are constantly trying out new things. Therefore, in our next series or software update, whatever you want to call it, we're going to be trying something new. So keep a lookout. Be blessed.